You're listening to the Brick by Brick podcast, where we take you from the ground up on real estate investing. Join us on our entrepreneurial voyage through the world of flipping houses, managing rental property, and building a real estate empire. Welcome back to the Brick by Brick podcast. I am John Errico here as always with Ryan Goldfarb. It's good to be back. We have done a bunch of episodes recently about some of our experiences in Atlantic City, focusing a lot on short-term rentals. So we thought that this episode would be a great opportunity for us to, to talk a little bit more about some of the legal and regulatory issues that short-term rentals face, both specifically in Atlantic City and New Jersey, but more broadly throughout the country, because I think that's the number one question that I get when I say short-term rentals, besides how much money do you make, <laughs> is uh, what's the legality of short-term rentals, Airbnb in different cities, different states? Like, can I do it in my house? What are the issues to consider? So I think the way to do it is maybe just to dive into it and kind of discuss perhaps a little bit the history of Airbnb, which is maybe renting shorter term in general, and then discuss how Airbnb has changed that and what concerns Airbnb has caused in different uh, municipalities. But so like big step back, I think something that is not immediately apparent to a lot of people is that this idea of renting out your home, your own home for shorter periods of time was not necessarily invented by Airbnb. In fact, in Atlantic City, where we have a lot of investments right now, the idea of having a summer vacation rental where you would maybe a family would live in the house in the off season and rent it out in the summer, or maybe would rent out part of the house in the summer or for part of the summer or whatever has been part of the culture in Atlantic City, I think throughout the Jersey Shore, I'm sure elsewhere forever, really, since the, those areas started to be desirable places. And Airbnb, which I think everyone who's listening to this podcast probably knows, but if you, if you don't, Airbnb is a website that enables anyone to rent out their home or a portion of their home to complete strangers, sort of in the same way that Uber allows people to use their private cars to conduct a you know taxi service. But Airbnb kind of exploded on the scene in um, the, I guess it was mid-2000s. I remember I first started using it, I think in 2010, 2011, something like that, I want to say and made the concept that we're talking about of renting your own home to somebody else much more mainstream and acceptable and also having to dovetail as well with other services like it. Uh, I think Uber comes to mind most particularly. So Airbnb, you know, I, I think one of the, the biggest conflicts, and we can maybe look at regulation through this lens, of Airbnb is that Airbnb is, I would say, on the spectrum from a residential use of your property to a commercial use on your property, Airbnb is a lot more towards the commercial side. Would you agree with that concept? I think it's interesting to think about like the original intent of these platforms like Airbnb and Uber. Airbnb started with the intent of being a quote-unquote home sharing platform, just like Uber started with the intent of being a ride sharing platform. And again, I think the original intent was that if you were taking a ride somewhere, you could get paid or subsidize the cost of your ride by bringing someone along with you. Just like if you lived in a house and had an empty room, you could generate some income by renting out that room and providing someone else with a little bit of a unique experience. But I think what that ultimately morphed into has been much more of a commercial enterprise for most people where 
people like us are buying most of these places with the express consent of or with the express intent of renting them out more or less full time. I think we have some exceptions to that where we have some places that we have in part for our own use and our own enjoyment, but generally these are these are, you know, business endeavors. Yeah, I think that's a great point. My my first recollection of using Airbnb was probably around like 2010, 2011 when we hosted on Airbnb. In fact, my wife rented out part of her apartment or I think all of her apartment like in the summer between law school because she wasn't living there at the time. So she rented out to people on Airbnb. And then when we moved to New York, which would have been 2013, 2014, we rented out rooms, a a bedroom in our apartment, sometimes while we were living there, and then the whole apartment on Airbnb. This is like probably the beginning of 2014. You used Airbnb as a host prior to using it as a traveler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I used it as a guest, I think, when I went to Europe, probably in 2012 or something like that. But it was always in the context of what you mentioned before, like a room share where you just have a room in somebody else's apartment and they would live in the apartment and they just like rented out a spare bedroom. I didn't use Airbnb to rent like an entire house or an entire apartment until I think much, much later. And I remember at that time, it was still so novel and so unique that the expectation was that you would have a relationship with the host that was hosting you on Airbnb. Like you would meet them. They would tell you about the city. I remember that with Uber They were physically there. They were on site. Yeah, yeah. I remember that with Uber as well would be like, you know, when I started using Uber, you probably remember this too. This is, I think this is probably like, I want to say 2010 or something like that. When I started using Uber 2011, it was like the same sort of concept where you get in the car and like people would talk to you. You talk to the driver because it'd be like so novel. Be like, oh, this is so cool. Like, right. you know, what do you do for a living? Like that sort of stuff. Um, and now it's become very transactional. Like I can't recall the last time I had a conversation with an Uber driver um, <laughs> that wasn't like awkward and bizarre. And I can't recall the last time I met an Airbnb host. I really can't recall that at all. But I do remember staying at an Airbnb one time and the host not being there. This is like, again, 2012 or something, 2013. And that was really odd to me because it was like, oh, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm just here alone. So, Yeah, my, my travel experience experiences on Airbnb have been, I think, more so in line with what the original intent was because that just happens to have been the types of places that I've... Oh, so you on have... more than one occasion, it's been... Even recently, on more than one occasion, it's been... We've stayed in like... I've done... I think I did a... Private. This is probably a few years ago at this point, but I did a private room in Newport when I was up there for a wedding. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. When Lindsay and I went away last summer, we went, we stayed in like a, it was like a guest apartment adjacent to the main house, but it was up in Lake Champlain and it was right on the lake on like a huge piece of land. And it was like, I think it was like sort of like the most ideal setup I could conceive of for both like the guest and the owner, because it's not there was enough land where we weren't like right on top of everyone, but it it still maintained enough of that like personalized experience where like you had some interaction with them. And like, if you had, if you had a question about like where to go in the area for X, Y, or Z, they were there to, That's to cool. be a resource. Yeah. But conversely, I've also, I think in, I want to say in Houston, I stayed in an Airbnb with a group of friends and it could not have been more clear that it was done as like a commercial pursuit because it was like, Basically, someone like went in there and was like, we need like a bed, a sofa, and like a dining table. And there was like no decor. It was like a pretty big house yeah. with like pretty big rooms. And like each bedroom, which was maybe like 15 by 15, had literally just like a bed and a nightstand. And mm-hmm. there was nothing else. Things definitely like run the gamut now. 
Yeah. For better so, or for worse. Yeah. I, I think returning to the initial point about uh, residential versus commercial, I think that the idea of sharing a room out in your own house strikes me more as a residential type of use because you have a spare bedroom or something like that. But buying a property for the you know purpose of renting out the whole property on Airbnb or whatever is, I think, more on the realm of commercial uses. So yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to think about the the history of all these things and about how that about the fact that this is something that municipalities have been grappling with for decades. And I think both you and I have experienced this fairly recently in Atlantic City because in researching the history of some of these properties, oftentimes for zoning reasons, we've come across old mercantile licenses for when these places were operated in the summer as a rooming house houses, or yeah. Or as a guest house, right. I guess they've had different distinctions or different names that maybe mean the same thing. Sure. And then they well predate, obviously, Airbnb. You know, these are from the, the 50s and right. 60s. I think to your point in the introduction, this was, it was very common where if you had a place like this in the 40s and the 50s, before the advent of motels, this was this was a very common way for people to travel. Yeah. Well, I, I, I bring up the residential versus commercial stuff because I think that it frames the regulatory environment that we're in right now, which is that I would say in the past, what, you know, okay, like five years or something like that, the ubiquity of Airbnb and place, platforms like Airbnb, VRBO, et cetera, has really exploded. And particularly in areas that are desirable for people to be tourists in like New York City, the Jersey Shore, near Disney and Orlando, you know, whatever, near the ocean, a lot of those areas are struggling with how do we kind of intermesh our desires for areas to be truly residential neighborhoods with the desires of the people that live there and also the people that visit there to use homes as the short-term rental functions, whether it's like a single room or an entire home. And unfortunately, the solution to that has been extremely patchwork depending on where you are in the country and what you do. And it changes all the time. Um, I think we're still, we're, you know, we're recording this in the middle of 2021. We're now still at a time of great change in regulations, even on a weekly basis where some cities that permitted Airbnb will not permit it anymore or were regulated in different ways. So maybe one way to approach this topic is my experience of Airbnb in New Jersey, which changed from a regulatory perspective, a lot in the time that I started doing it. So in 2014, I was living in uh, Union City, New Jersey, bought my first house. And we decided that as a way to make extra money, instead of renting out the apartment, we were in a two-family, we were living on the first floor. Instead of renting out the apartment as a whole apartment, we'd rent out the apartment on either as a whole apartment on Airbnb or as individual bedrooms on Airbnb. And at the time, the regulations in the state of New Jersey and in the specific city and county that I was in were really not clear about this. There was the idea that renting out individual rooms was probably a no-no because that was like a rooming house type situation. But the enforcement of that was really lackluster. And like, if you've been to this part of New Jersey, you know that that happens all the time. It had happened before with Airbnb. It's kind of like a roommate scenario, right? Where you'll have a roommate in your apartment. Do you know where you were? Do you know if there was a distinction based on whether you occupy the building or not? Not at the time, no, no. And I think in New Jersey, the rooming house laws do not make the distinction either. But so I, I started doing it in 2014 and there was nothing prohibiting what, what we were doing. I think that it was a little bit 
odd, perhaps, if other people saw what we were doing, but nobody really cared and nobody like reported us. This is around the same time, too, that in New York, we're just starting to see some regulation around using your apartment in New York City as an Airbnb because obviously the demand that I was seeing in Union City was for people coming to New York because we're just outside of New York. The demand in New York City itself was way, way higher. And it became a great arbitrage opportunity where you would have these apartments that you would rent out for like $3,000 a month, which is still extremely high. But on Airbnb, you could make $9,000 a month or $10,000 a month because you're essentially functioning as a, as a hotel room you know, in the midst of a big building or whatever else. So this is 2014 when we started doing this. I think in 2016, or I want to say 2017, the city passed a regulation that essentially banned all Airbnbs in the city. So there's no licensing, no regulation really, except to say you can't do it. Well, do you um, know what was the... What was the ground? Was it you can't rent through an online platform? You couldn't do rentals under 30 days? Under 30 days, yeah. So so this is a common way that you'll see regulations written in a lot of municipalities, which is that you cannot have a lease or an agreement for someone to occupy a space less than 30 days. Sometimes they'll say 60 days, two months, three months, something like that. But I, I think 30 is the 30 norm days that I've seen. Is, yeah, so pretty much everything that we were doing, well, to be frank, what we were doing on Airbnb was actually not in that specific case in violation of that because we had people that would stay in our places for several months. We we're sort of functioning by that point as a little bit of a medium-term housing is what I would describe it as. Like people would come, they would be studying or working or whatever in New York City for like a summer or a semester and they'd stay at our place for like three months or whatever. But the technicalities aside, for people that were doing true Airbnbs like uh, essentially renting their apartment or their house or a room out or whatever, like on a nightly basis, that law pretty much ended that. However, interestingly, in the city directly south of Union City, which is Jersey City, they had enacted a very different law, which was essentially permitting Airbnbs. I don't remember the specifics of the law, if there were restrictions on using your house as an Airbnb. I but... think there were some restrictions. I I, I confused the original legislation with some subsequent one, but I, I believe that there were some limitations about doing so in larger buildings, perhaps, or maybe that right. was part of the subsequent one. But I, I think it was like broadly quite permissible. Right. And there were a few other cities in New Jersey, northern New Jersey that I'm aware of, including Newark, that passed laws sort of encouraging Airbnbs to happen because the cities rationalized like, well, it'd be great to get more people in. It'd be great to maybe, you know, raise some rateables because maybe the properties are worth more now that you can use an Airbnb, things of that vein. I don't remember the exact timing of this, but I think in the background, things were also changing a little bit at the state level where they had started to, they had started to discuss some sort of regime to tax it uh, more in line with how they would tax a hotel. Right. And so I think, I, I think I remember that specifically dovetailing with the, the Newark regulatory landscape. Mm -hmm. Right. The and state of that, New Jersey itself passed a law permitting municipalities to tax Airbnbs. Uh, I think it was also that the state itself was, the, the state itself would get tax revenue from it. So they, they instituted two different fees. There's the, the state occupancy fee, which is a 5% tax, I guess you can call it. And separate from the occupancy fee, they applied the state sales tax to, to short-term accommodations under 90 days. I think people sometimes interpret that as a tax on Jersey Shore rentals, mm -hmm. but it had the functional effect of really having an impact on North Jersey because that's where, besides the shore, that's where a lot of Airbnbs were operating. I think the reason why it gets that reputation is because there was like a specific exclusion in there that excluded 
the sales tax and the state occupancy fee on rentals that were done through a broker. Right. And in many of these Jersey Shore towns, there was a like longstanding institution of like these summer vacation rental brokers who will they advertise these weekly rentals. And so because they were excluded on that, excluded from that tax, it sort of gave them an advantage over anyone who was trying to operate Airbnb in the same market. So around that same time, Union City, as we said, passed this restrictive law. Jersey City passed a more permissive law as well as other municipalities. But many municipalities did nothing. There wasn't a law on the books already that had prevented it. And they didn't pass any laws that would specifically enable it to happen. Since that time, we've seen, I would say, a reversal in a lot of these laws. Union City, of course, it still doesn't restrict it. Jersey City had a referendum, which was well publicized, um, I guess about two years ago now, where they abolished Airbnb in Jersey City. So now doing Airbnb in Jersey City, I think, in I think they have the 30, I think it's the 30 day yeah. minimum generally. I think there are some exceptions now. If you if it's a small building of like two or three units and or if it's owner occupied. But I mean it was if like ninety five percent of things were permitted then now it's like twenty percent. Yeah, and I know cities like Chicago have had similar laws that it's like they originally were permissive, now they're less permissive, or it's like only certain units in a certain building, or only if you're living in the building. I think New York is not permissive at all, right? I don't think it's, or maybe if you're living there, possibly you could. I think it's if you're living there, and I think if, I think you may also have to own the unit. There are also so many factors at play because even even in these, even in the instances where it's quote unquote permitted, sometimes. Permitting it just means it's okay. Other times it means it's permitted so long as you follow certain requirements, fit certain requirements, and apply for a license. Sometimes that license come with an, comes with an annual inspection. So I guess the challenging thing to the question of like, is Airbnb legal, is that the answer truly depends not just on what region you're located in, not just based on whether what state you are located in, but which municipality you're located in and even sometimes within a municipality you'll see that it's the regulations differ based on neighborhoods for example if Mm -hmm. you're located downtown in a tourism district it might be more appropriate than if you're located within a residential zone yeah or it it sometimes flows with zoning um i know that's the case in like orlando and places near disney world where like you have to be zoned in a certain way um doesn't necessarily mean you have to be commercially zoned but just not like certain types of low density residential zoning all of the logic and the rationale behind these laws is to at least my interpretation is to protect neighborhoods that cities see as being like prototypically residential because with commercial operators that have I would probably say are probably the majority, um, maybe not by number, but probably by revenue of uh, Airbnbs that operate, at least in the U.S. right now. Commercial operators, I think, are much more on the commercial side of the spectrum than someone renting out like a spare bedroom in their house, which is, as Ryan mentioned, like probably the original intent of Airbnb. Just as a complete aside, but uh, referencing that, I do recall when Airbnb was actively considering preventing hosts from having more than one listing. I remember this is back in 2014, 2015, when a lot of stuff was happening in New York and they were saying like, well, maybe we can just restrict hosts to having one listing because if you have multiple listings, you're obviously a commercial operator. And I think Airbnb quickly realized that probably like the 80-20 rule, right? Like 80% of the revenue probably comes from 20% of the users. Those 20% of the users are the commercial operators. So if Airbnb wants to keep making money despite their you know, lip service to having this really authentic host experience, they're going to have to allow commercial operators to 
to work. I remember Airbnb used to be big about the host experience. That was a huge thing about like hosts greeting you, interacting with people. That was like the big upsell for Airbnb versus a hotel. And now I don't... I mean, I, I see that language. In some places, you can have experiences on Airbnb with real people. But I don't think that's the real thrust of their rentals now. They've just kind of given in and said, we want commercial operators to operate. <laughs> and I think, that, I think the demand side has also kept suit, like followed suit with that. I think if you... I think Airbnb probably realized that not every guest is looking for that experience. They're just generally looking for a better alternative to a hotel or they're looking for something that's better, more conducive to, the, to their group or their vacation plans. But I think if, you, if you're still searching for that, whether you're reading reviews or just getting a sense of like how the list, listing is crafted, you can generally find things that offer a more authentic experience and a more like interpersonal yeah. experience with the host itself. So I, I think in the US, the current state of most regulatory schemes are one of three categories. There's the category of you can't do it at all. There's the category of you can do it, but subject to certain restrictions, which those restrictions could be you have to live there, you have to get a license, you have to get an inspection, you have to live in a certain zone, whatever else. And the last category of saying like there's just no law specifically about Airbnb on the books. It's by lack of prohibiting it, it's probably arguably permissible, but there's nothing that addresses it either way. I suspect that even right now, that's probably the majority of municipalities just by number. Probably larger municipalities where that have the majority of the population centers are in categories one or two. Yeah. I, I think it's also worth pointing out that there are the applicability of the law or like the legality surrounding doing short-term rentals in some places where the law is perhaps silent about Airbnbs or about short-term rentals is that sometimes there are overlapping ordinances that may cover... They, they may ha be intended to cover other situations that also similarly would apply to short-term rentals. Like one example I'm thinking of is the fact that a lot of towns or it's not super uncommon around here for a town to require a new certificate of occupancy or certificate of habitability or something akin to that upon each change in tenancy. So if you have a new guest coming in every 30 days, you may still be obligated to apply for that certificate, even if what you're doing has is acceptable from like a short-term rental perspective. You may be operating or you may be subjecting yourself to violations and fines and whatnot if you're not following that law, which would obviously be you would obviously be violating that to a greater degree if you have new guests coming in every 30 days as opposed to a new tenant coming in once a year or once every two years. Right. I think that's a great point. And I, I think one of the issues that we have around here, which is less applicable to people that don't live in New Jersey, is that we have so many municipalities, particularly in northern New Jersey, that each municipality might have their own particular set of laws that either explicitly apply to Airbnb or like Ryan suggested might curtail your ability to do Airbnb if you're interested in, you know, following those laws as they're written. So, you know, in, in New Jersey, you could go to a, a city municipality where you're in category one, like complete ban. Right next to that municipality, there could be category two, which is like allowable, but certain restrictions apply. And then that might be a city that has no law whatsoever about Airbnb, um, or at least not explicitly about Airbnb, that it's a little bit more ambiguous whether or not you can function as Airbnb. It's also very frustrating that in a lot of these municipalities, the people who are drafting these ordinances or who are enforcing these ordinances often don't know how their own laws are written or how their own laws are applied. 
So I think like one example is we've talked in the past a little bit, at least between the two of us, I don't know about on the podcast, about how in certain areas where you get a short-term rental license that I think it's implied that the short-term rental license or the seasonal occupancy certificate is a substitute for a certificate of occupancy. But depending on the time of year or who you speak to or any number of circumstances, the city may not necessarily agree with that assessment. We've also had similar issues about you know the enforceability of certain ordinances in specific districts where like one one party says that the short-term rental regime applies to the tourism applies to the tourism district and everywhere else within the municipality, but other people say within the tourism district, the city's jurisdiction does not apply. Therefore, the short-term rental license is not yeah. applicable to that area. So again, like that, this is all sort of a a byproduct of having an ever-changing regulatory landscape, and you ha- oftentimes have one one piece of the puzzle not talking or not in not in, right. in in sync with the rest. I think it gets to you know not to get in the legal weeds too much, but there's a distinction. There's there's some. I think confusion or ambiguity about these laws that would regulate or restrict Airbnb. Are they zoning laws? Are they like general police power laws? Are they licensing laws? Are they intended to generate revenue or not? This and that. And depending on what type of laws they are, at least in New Jersey, I think probably similar in many states, there are different ways to pass those laws. So like a zoning law is oftentimes a more difficult or at least involved law to pass than like a general regulatory law. And sometimes cities have done that. Sometimes cities haven't done that. Sometimes cities have been challenged. So one one thing that I, I, I think undercuts all of this is that the regulations that are in place or being put in place for short-term rentals throughout the country, many of which are have been and are currently subject to legal challenges about some of these issues. Because the argument as it flows is that I'm a homeowner. I own this property. I can do basically whatever I want on the property. And this is the sort of thing that I should be able to do, for example, unless there's some you know, really good reason why the city should prohibit or the state or county should prohibit me from doing it. So we're still at a time where there's litigation surrounding it. There's litigation surrounding the laws in Union City that I mentioned before in Jersey City. And then just to speak specifically to where we're at in Atlantic City, because I know a lot of people that have listened to this podcast are interested in our Atlantic City stuff. Atlantic City, which is on the Jersey Shore, actually has a pretty permissive policy on Airbnb. So they would fall into that category two that I mentioned above, which is that Airbnb is permitted, but subject to certain restrictions. So in Atlantic City specific case, you can do Airbnb right now anywhere except for one area of the city, which may or may not be overturned, but you can do Airbnb essentially anywhere. However, to do Airbnb or short-term, short-term rentals, um, you need to have an inspection, which requires a registration fee, and then pay for a license after the inspection. And also subject yourself to a number of laws that govern how you're going to run the short-term rental. So for example, there are occupancy limits on the homes. There are uh, requirements to have certain insurance, to have certain people that are responsive, to take out the garbage at certain times, et cetera. If you're located within an HOA, you need some sort of written approval from the HOA explicitly stating that you're permitted to do short-term rentals within within the HOA. So there, there are a lot of things in that general realm. Like you can only do it in certain, uh, in single family or multifamily homes. You can't do it in like a commercial space, for example, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the rationale there, I, I think, is that Atlantic City is a tourist town that has kind of made its money on tourism, people going to gamble or going to the ocean. 
So banning Airbnb, even when there are residential communities in Atlantic City, is probably just a bad idea for the city itself that prides itself in being kind of like a playground of the Jersey Shore. But there are other, other Jersey Shore towns like Asbury Park or Long Beach Island or wherever else where Airbnb is very much curtailed. I think in Asbury Park, you can do Airbnb, but only if you live in a one unit of like a two-family house or a three-family house or something akin to that. And that's the case, I think, with a lot of these Jersey Shore towns. You know, in a sense, we feel lucky that we're operating in Atlantic City because we're able to do our Airbnbs where we're able to do them. As Ryan mentioned in a few examples, primarily our focus right now is on doing short-term rentals in the tourism district, which if you listen to previous podcast episodes, you know, is a really odd thing that exists in Atlantic City where the state itself through this entity called the CRDA has zoning authority over part of the city. That's this part of the city that's borders the ocean and where all the casinos and the boardwalk is. That is where primarily we do or want to continue doing Airbnbs. And the advantage of that, we think both from a regulatory perspective and also from like an ethical moral perspective is that that area is explicitly set up to be for tourists. Yes, there are people that do live in the tourism district. However, the goal of the tourism district is to get people there as tourists. So you also have all the casinos in Atlantic City are in the tourism district. So yeah, you could live there, but you're probably going to end up living next to a casino. And I, you know, I don't know what would be worse, but living next to a casino across the street from you or an Airbnb across the street from you is probably, you know, it's it's the deal that you make by living in this particular area of Atlantic City. So even from from a regulatory perspective, we feel very confident that the tourism district would never pass a law that would essentially restrict tourism. And from sort of an ethical moral perspective, we don't feel like we're disturbing neighborhoods or communities by operating some of these places in a commercial way as short-term rentals. We're not taking housing stock off the market. Something else that we haven't touched on directly, but you know, one of the rationales I think for some of these Airbnb bans is the idea in some of these lower income areas that you're taking off housing options, you're reducing the supply of long-term housing, therefore increasing rents because demand is the same. And the supply that you're taking off is being used as these um, quasi-hotels. So you have the functional result of increasing rents and making it more difficult to find housing for people who live in these areas. And where we are in Atlantic City, I'll just tell you that that's not the case. Um, There's an abundance of housing, glut of housing, I would say, both in the tourism district and elsewhere. We feel good about what we're doing for that reason because the argument that we're taking, you know, houses offline that could be rented by long-term tenants or low-income tenants is just not applicable to where we're operating. Notwithstanding the fact that many of the houses that we're bringing online as short-term rentals were previously uninhabitable and were gut renovated only because it's viable to do short-term rentals in that area. Right, right. So I, I think, you know, in summation about the regulatory scheme, the way that I see it is that it's an interplay that every city right now is going through between different desires. There's a desire, I think, that cities have to preserve residential neighborhoods because people that live in these residential neighborhoods don't want to live next to a house where somebody's partying or maybe leaving, coming and going every day or an apartment like that. There's a desire to preserve available housing stock for people that want to live in these cities or uh, rent in an apartment in a city. But that's coupled against the desire of a lot of homeowners that do Airbnb to supplement their income or help pay for their property taxes. Property taxes in New Jersey, for example, are very, very high. And also the desire of people that are visiting on the demand side that want to stay in some of these homes, want to stay in some of these places, don't want to stay a typical hotel room. And I think we're actually about to do another episode shortly on why Airbnb is, and short-term rentals in general, 
are so pervasive and why, you know, we believe that they're here to stay kind of indefinitely. But now, you know, a decade plus since Airbnb's inception, we're seeing sustained real demand for these types of places that I think is something that cities have to contend with. People, you know, you can regulate them kind of out of existence if you want, but you know, these, these things still happen. I know people that rent out Airbnbs in Union City, in Jersey City, in New York City, where they're not technically legal, but there's so much demand for it, it, it still happens. So that's where we're kind of at from a regulatory perspective. So like to answer the question, is doing Airbnb legal? That's a very complex answer, but unfortunately it depends on where you live and it can depend on even, as Ryan mentioned before, where within a given municipality you live. One other thing to point out that we didn't really touch on is I think many political issues end up falling under this umbrella, but I think short-term rental regulation is no different where oftentimes what is fostering this push or what is really like behind this push is a loud vocal minority that will raise issues based off of they will try to make the exception seem like the rule. So I think, you know, at this point we've hosted thousands of nights on Airbnb and we've had, I would say 98% very, very positive experiences, not just for us, but for the guests, for neighbors, for the community as a whole, because, you know, we really try to, to steer people towards local establishments that are going to provide a boon to the local economy and kind of keep things running along. But you have every so often a group that comes in that's a rowdier bunch, maybe a group that gets a little too drunk, maybe a group that's out a little bit too late at night and they become a little bit of a disturbance to a neighbor or when they leave, there's there's a little too much trash outside that's piled up because the city only picks it up once a week or you know they encroach on someone's parking spot. And if that happens enough, certain people, you know, rightfully so or or not, they will make a big deal about it and they will make sure that their concerns are heard by the people who are in in a position to do something about it. At the end of the day, that's that's often what we're up against. And I, at least in my eyes, it's it's frustrating that in some places, the opportunity to provide these unique experiences is curtailed by the fact that there are people who are just opposed to this for more selfish reasons um, because it's a little bit of an inconvenience to them and they're o- maybe okay with this happening in general, but not in their own backyard. So I think that it's a constant balancing act and it's, it's yeah. you know, there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of like kind of political games to play in this world. Right. And I think the argument, you know, that comes to mind, I guess, for those people, I've, I've, I'm, very sympathetic the idea that someone you know bought a house in a residential neighborhood not expecting them to be next to a house where somebody's partying all the time although that could certainly happen just with a normal person living in a residential neighborhood a lot of the counter arguments sort of stem from the idea that cities need rateables they need ways to make money and airbnb is a way for cities to make money um, via taxes via increased property values just having more people in the city that use city services and commercial areas and all that things that come with it. So, you know, it, it's it's a hard argument to make when you're facing someone that says, you know, I, I, I live next to an Airbnb and they're partying up until 4 a.m. and they woke me up and I have to go to work and 
you know, there are a bunch of beer cans outside, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard to say to them, okay, well, because that's happening, maybe the next time that your house gets reassessed for taxes, you know, the amount that you're paying in taxes goes down, or maybe the value of your house is now increased because people could see that your house could be used as an Airbnb. You, you actually have another means that you could generate money from your house. You're not doing it, but it might have impacted your house in a positive way, perhaps. So it's, as Ryan mentioned, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thorny situation to the extent that people listening to this podcast are interested in doing stuff specifically in the areas that we've mentioned, and I would say very specifically in Atlantic City, Ryan and I have become kind of experts in this regulatory realm. But if you're considering doing Airbnb where you are, and you're not sure of where the regulations are, whether they're, they're banned, it's permitted with a license or in certain areas, or there's just no laws at, at all, it's really, really important to inform yourself and become an expert in those laws. Because this will really impact your business. Having Airbnb, you know, banned in a city where you've maybe bought 10 homes expecting to do Airbnb as people had did, had did in, as people have done in Jersey City is a humongous disaster because not only can you not make money from those homes, you can't really sell those homes either. Maybe you bought them at a premium, maybe, you know, whatever else. So it's worth being informed about it. There's resources online. I think for Basically, every city, there's you know zoning laws, ordinances, et cetera, that you can review. Probably people are talking about it online. It's helpful to know the language that's used in those ordinances too when you're searching around for them because oftentimes they can be hidden. But I think if you're searching for like, is Airbnb legal, you're not going to find much. But if you, if you tailor the language around the term short-term rental, you have a better chance of finding things. Mm-hmm. Less um, than 30 days. Yeah, less than like 30 that. days. Yeah. Occupancy or transiency or transient rentals. Those all tend to be commonly used words in that in that realm. I think that's it for this episode. I think this was this was uh, you know, we didn't get into a lot of the specifics of certain regulations. If you if you'd like, we're happy to do an episode about the Airbnb regulations in Atlantic City very specifically. Um, although we might want to hold off on that given some pending uh, issues that are happening there with these laws. But you know, if, if you'd like us to do that, please let us know. If you have any comments or thoughts about Airbnb, if you're investing in Airbnb in, in short term rentals and want to pick our brains about it from a regulatory perspective or any perspective, really, we're happy to do that. My name, again, is John. My email address is j-o-h-n, john, at libertyhudson.com. And I'm Ryan, r-y-a-n, at libertyhudson.com. If you are listening to this podcast via a service that allows you to subscribe or like, we would really appreciate that. It helps us to know how many people are listening and to get you guys new episodes. But until next time, thank you guys so much for watching and we'll be back soon with another Brick by Brick podcast. Don't forget to visit us at BrickXBrickRealEstate.com for free content to help you along your real estate journey and to follow along on our projects. Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app and engage with us online via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and BrickXBrickRealEstate.com. See you next time on the Brick by Brick Podcast.